word, for it is his word. All of from Genesis to Revelation, it is the word of God, and it is for us, um, though it's not always to us. For instance, uh, when Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians, um, it was to them, but it's also for us. We're looking here at Jesus' words during his earthly ministry and what he had to say, because Jesus had a lot to say in just a few years, so much so that uh, John and his gospel, when he writes it down, he says that there weren't enough books in the world that can contain all that Jesus had done, all of his works and all that the, the miracles he'd performed, everything in Jesus's three years of earthly ministry, not just his 33 years, but his earthly ministry for three years, not all the books in the world could contain all that had happened, the word said. So Jesus had a lot to say. And we have to, we have to look at the word of the Lord. Where else could we turn but the word of the Lord? So let us pick up in Matthew 6, verse 24, where Jesus says this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's the word of the Lord for us this morning, church. Let us be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, we come humbly to you this morning asking that you would just show us your word. God, would you, by your spirit, work inside of us uh, this morning, uh, convicting us of, of areas where we're sinning, where we're, we're living in fear, we're living in anxiety. God, would you comfort those who are, who are dealing with anxiety? Um, God, would you remind us of our need to care for our brothers and sisters dealing with anxiety. And most of all, God, I pray that we would not see anxiety as, as some kind of taboo within the church that should just be gone, but we would remember that we do have it, we do deal with it. But God, it's what we do with it that either displays your glory or shows man's wrath. So God, would you just remind us of your goodness and that we would draw near to you this morning and this week and forevermore through your word and the gathering of your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Anxiety, a big topic. Church, there's not enough uh, time this morning to go through it all. Um, I guess now would be a good time to remind you, you can go to newhilloh.com forward slash ask to send in any questions that you have uh, at any point in time for me to answer. Uh, we can do a podcast episode, whatever it might be. Um, but for the sake of, of time today, we're going to look here at this passage and break it down, um, but we will not exhaust all the text. 
are all that we have to say on this topic. But what does Jesus say about anxiety? That's going to be what we're dealing with this morning. What did Jesus, our Lord, in his time on earth have to say about anxiety? Anxiety is a, a very real thing. Um, what you don't want to do is you don't want it to be your, a crutch, right? And you also don't want it to be uh, like, hey, we're, we're men and we just, just suck it up, right? We don't want to do that either. Now, there's that balance, right? You don't want to be like, oh, I don't feel good today. I'm just worried about so much. I'm not going to do anything. And then on the other hand, where we're going back and never talking about these things as if they don't exist. For they do exist. Jesus talked about it. So 2020 and 2023, we didn't just like hit a gold mine and like, oh, there's this thing called anxiety and we need to deal with it. It's, it's an actual disorder. Some people really struggle with it, suffer from it, and it brings about all of these issues. And this explains why people feel these emotions and act these ways. And, and even church, when it gets so bad, could even inflict some sort of self-harm. That's how deep anxiety can get for people where it leads to depression in these ways. The American Psychiatric Association states that anxiety is a mental disorder that affects nearly 30% of adults in their life. Church, that's 3 in 10 of adults in their life. So we can look around and we know uh, just by statistics that our brothers and sisters are more than likely dealing with this, uh, several of them. But anxiety is difficult because it can be a simple stress of having to give a speech in front of a crowd. Any of you all ever have to do that, speak in front of a crowd? All right? Yep. Come on, man, Nelson, right? All right, I'll leave it alone. I'll leave it alone. Or it can go all the way to your daily worry about how you're going to provide for your family. Now, that's, that's a real struggle, right? Uh, Aubrey and I uh, were married at 19. I uh, had Maylee at, like, 22. And I remember, like, the only struggle I had was just trying to keep my, like, soldier alive um, on Xbox, right? Just making sure that he didn't die. And now... Uh, by God's grace, I've got this child that I've got to make sure she stays alive and that she has food uh, and formula and then these things called like broccoli and carrots that I, I wasn't eating at 22 that she could have that would give her body the nutrition it needed to survive. And then remembering that they need their diaper changed. Church, I remember how embarrassed I was when uh, we had Maylee and the nurse, uh, I could hear the, the door moving and I'm like, Aubrey, we haven't changed her in hours and babies poop like every 15 minutes. And like immediately the quickest diaper change I've ever done and open it up real quick and like black tar everywhere and like clean, 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 clean to make sure that I wasn't the world's worst parent that was just going to lose my child. I felt terrible. It can be all that anxiety. And the 30% of adults who reportedly deal with anxiety is on a much deeper level that they call it a mental disorder. It's an actual disorder right now. And you get medication. It's serious. So what does the Bible have to say about this anxiety? Well, church, it says a lot about it. But if you do a word search, you're not going to find much on the word itself. The ESV, which we preach from, the English Standard Version, only uses the word anxiety eight times. The NIV only uses the word seven times. And if you use uh, the King James Version, uh, the one Paul used, uh, it says it none. Zero. Paul didn't use uh, the King James Version, by the way. Just make that clear. Uh, he, was, he was writing uh, the word as it was inspired uh, to him. But the King James uses the word anxiety itself, none, zero, zilch. But it says so much about anxiety. It says so much about the heart of man and how we, God's people, ought to live and act and breathe and, and follow him and live by faith and not by fear. 
um, church, practically flesh itself out. Well, first, we've got to look back at the passage, um, church, that we read this morning um, from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I just want to read this, church, and I want this to be our prayer this morning, that we would draw near to God and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, not only this morning, church, but that we would pray this over our life, over our family's life, and over our friend's life, and over our church's life each and every day, where it says this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So hold fast because we have a, a God who came in the flesh of man. We don't just have a man. We don't just have an idol that we look to that, that may do some temporal good things, but has eternally secured your soul by coming and dying so that through faith and repentance you may have eternal life. Hold fast to the confession that Jesus is Lord and died for your sins. Verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but, only, uh, but one who in every respect has temp been tempted, sorry, as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Draw near to the throne of grace. Draw near to your Lord each and every day, church, so that in doing so you may receive mercy and find grace and help in that time of need. So what are we doing with our time? What are we drawing near to when anxiety creeps into our life? Are we drawing near to the Lord or are we drawing near to man? See, in this specific passage here in, in uh, Matthew 6, the verses we're looking at, Jesus is, is focusing his listeners' eyes on one thing. That's to look to the kingdom of God and not to the kingdom of man. If you take away anything this morning, each and every day, remind yourself this truth, to look to the kingdom of God and not to the kingdom of man. There's only two choices in life ever. We've been talking about this really the, the past few weeks. We always try and remind ourselves of this through God's word as it reminds us that there's two choices, righteousness, unrighteousness, light, dark, holiness, unholiness, right? Those things are the truth. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of man, which would be the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of destruction, which is hell, a place described as gnashing of teeth. So as we remember to look to the kingdom of God, not to the kingdom of man, there's some ways that we ought to do that. We'll reveal these uh, throughout. There will be three of them. The first one is to remember who you serve. Remember who you're serving is the best way to begin to focus your eyes on that kingdom. You see, if, you're, if you have some other king other than the king himself, the king of kings, lord of lords, Jesus Christ, if you have your eyes on any other thing or person other than Jesus, then your kingdom is that of man. Your, your king could be money. Your king could be your, uh, your husband. It could be a queen, a queendom, right? Your, your spouse, your wife, uh, whoever it might be, we're placing things before Jesus. Jesus, our Lord. And this is so important because if we want to begin to really get to the root of our anxiety and how we ought to deal with it, not how we ought to just get rid of it, but how we ought to deal with it. This isn't a message of how to get rid of your anxiety. This is a message on how to overcome your anxiety by the grace and goodness of our Lord and Savior. Because, church, I can't guarantee you here behind the pulpit, knowing the Word of God and knowing my experience and your experiences in life, that we're just going to wipe anxiety out. But I don't know that we can defeat anxiety because our Savior has already defeated it for you. For it will not have dominion over your life. For you will enter into eternity if you've repented and believed in your Lord. 
Praise be to God for that. So who do we serve? This is the basis for which we ought to start. So consider this sermon that Jesus has given um, where he has said this. He said this before, so we need to consider this. This is contextual to uh, our verses 24 through 34. Um, but Matthew 6, 19 through 21, same sermon just before this. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your what? heart will be also. Jesus is focusing the listener's ears and it's so important to be fixed on the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man. And this is so important to our daily life that we would, we would focus not on earth where Jesus says there's, there's rust and there's moth, moths. And I remember as a kid, like this resonates with me because in our basement, we would get like grasshoppers. And my mom said, you can't leave your clothes laying around. They'll destroy things, right? And that's how this, this world is. It's all destruction. Whereas back in the garden, it was all life. It was beautiful, just how God had intended. But now because of, of sin, Death has entered the world, not just for us, but for all of creation. And Jesus says something very practical. Why, why would you have your eyes focused on something that brings about death rather than the one who has brought about life? But we, as believers, do this. He also continues in Matthew 6, 24, saying this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He says, it's one or the other. You're going to be devoted to me, or you're going to be devoted to the world. See, when I was in school, I was going to Marshall University uh, for a degree in, in business, and I was working at uh, State Electric Supply Company. Uh, my dad uh, knows the CEO there, so I was planning on climbing the corporate ladder. He uh, always told me, my dad's friend told me, hey, if you go and get your degree, you can move on up. We'll take care of you. You know, All right, let's get this degree. I'd work in between classes. I'd literally go work some split shifts, um, make some money. And I just wasn't satisfied. God was calling me into pastoral ministry. And I remember going to sit down in John Spore's office. I've, I've shared this story several times. But I, I go in, I knock on the door, and I was like, man, I'm going to hate this conversation. But hopefully he'll still let me make a ton of money one day with a Bible degree. And I was like, come on in. He's like, happy to see me, I think. And I was like, hey, um, so I know that I was going to get a business degree and I was going to move up the corporate ladder. But listen to this idea, right? God's really laid it on my heart, I think, to, to get a degree in biblical studies, and I just feel like that's kind of like where I'm going, but I still like want to move up here, right? He says, well, you got to ask yourself this. Do you want to be a businessman, or do you want to be a pastor? Because it sounds like you want to be a pastor. And those words have resonated with me forever, because at that moment, I realized that God was speaking through my father's friend to tell me what he wanted for my life. You can do this or you can do that. It's very practical, Michael. If you want to work here, then a business degree makes sense. It's going to benefit you and it's going to benefit us. It's mutually beneficial. There's a relationship here. You invest in us, we invest in you. But it sounds like you're on the other side, which is fine. 
And I remember those words as I, I read this because it's, it's one or the other. How could I go and, and try and be this pastor and go get a, a biblical degree and, and then justify myself moving up a ladder with guys who had gone and worked really hard to get their MBAs and, and their, even up to a doctorate because they wanted to study and just keep studying for whatever reason. And here's me with a bachelor's in biblical studies. How would that work had I followed through with that? How can you do one while claiming the other? Is what Jesus says. How can you serve the kingdom of man while claiming the kingdom of God? So church, if Jesus came to us right now and looked at our life and did an assessment and evaluation, what would he say of it? Would he say it looks like you want to follow the world? Or it looks like you want to follow me? Because both cannot be true. You cannot want to follow the world and want to follow Christ. You cannot proclaim Christ as king over your life while making man king over your world. This is key because much of our anxieties, church, are coming from a place of trying to please others and control the things that are out of our control. Much of our anxiety is, is spent focusing our eyes and our attention on other people, what we want to be or what we don't want to be. We become so fixated not only in what we want to be, that's easy, right? I want to be so much like LeBron James that I'm going to buy his shoes and I'm going to learn to shoot a basketball and dunk a ball, wear a headband, my hairline's going to go back, and I'm going to be like LeBron James, right? It's easy to think about those idols, but what about the ones that we don't want to be, alike, be like? We're so fixing more like not becoming our mother, our king. You see, we, we talk about being more like this and more like that, and those are attributes of Christ, but we've never taken our eyes and looked at Christ and said, who is Christ? What has he done for me? How does he interact with me? And how can I be more like him? We focus on the little things. We focus on, on this or that instead of just Jesus. And I know the just Jesus answer bothers so many people. Some people want the just Jesus answer more. But church, what if we were more like Christ? What if we stopped looking to others and looked more to our Lord and said, I want to be like the Lord who came and can sympathize with me in every way, for he's been tempted in every way, just as I have been. See, church, we've been, we've been given this, this whole idea of keeping with the Joneses, this lifestyle and Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he would be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Verse 25, this is why we started in verse 24. He says, therefore, so the reason I'm telling you is this. Therefore, I'm telling you because of this truth, I'm going to tell you this truth. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We are so focused on the Joneses. Who is that in our life? And it's not just the obvious things that they have money, a house, a family, a car, right? It's not always the simple or those, those things, right, that we're chasing. It could be their upbringing and wanting to, to, to raise our kids the way that they were raised, raise our kids the way that they are raising their kids, pray the way that they pray instead of praying the way Jesus prayed. We're so focused on others that we've forgotten about the one who was focused on us that he left his throne and came and died in our place. 
Man, what if our eyes were just turned to Jesus this morning? What if we remembered our provider? Point number two. What if we remembered the one who just supplies every need that we have? So we not only remember our, our, the kingdom, right? Like remember uh, who we're serving, right? We're remembering the one who provides. He was a servant. He came in the form of a servant. Serves us. We serve back, right? That proves what kingdom we are serving. But we remember our provider. So church, who is your provider? Who is the provider in your life? Who do you think that is? Like when, when I say that, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And a good way to ask yourself this, to see where your heart is, is to consider how you tithe. How do you tithe? How are you giving your money? Now, this message isn't going to be delving deep into uh, giving. Do you give, do we, do I give with a joyful heart, knowing that we are giving back to God a small portion of what he has given to you and I? Or do we think of giving this way, that we worked really hard for this? We provided for our family, we earned that, and it just really stinks to give it away. Now, I'll be the first to confess that there's been times early on in, in mine and Aubrey's marriage where I had never tithed in my life. This is like my first experience. Don, I'm sorry, I don't know that I ever gave to Antioch Missionary Baptist as an 18-year-old new baptized believer. Uh, I don't know that I did that. But we got married, and I'm like, man, like I, I see in the word that I should give, and that first one you give is almost worse than taxes. Imagine that. That we consider, we give taxes away and we're irritated and we get it back, in, some of it back at the end of the year. Maybe we don't get anything. Maybe we owe more. And we cringe more at the giving to the Lord and the tithes and offerings when he's the one who provided you the job. He provided your boss a job to, to own that business, to run that business so that, that the world could be blessed through it. That's when Jesus, you know, when he really talks uh, in, in another section of the scriptures, he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. What he was saying is that money has that icon on it of Caesar, so it's Caesar's. But you bear my image. I don't want that. That can come with, I'm providing you that so you can bless others through the giving of the church and whatever. I want you. I love you. You bear my image. And I want you, every bit of you, because I love you and I came for you. Man, if we just re reconsider who our provider was, it would change the way we provide to others, the way that we give to others, the way that we give to the church. But our anxiety, it creeps in and we begin to, to wonder and we begin to, to think, how are we going to provide for our families if we're giving our money to the church? That's a real anxiety that if you give this amount to the church this week, how are you going to be able to pay your bills? That's an anxiety, and it creeps in, church. I get it. Most importantly, God gets it. But this is what Jesus, uh, this is what the word of the Lord says in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And let me, let me say this real quick. Paul's in jail at this point. This is a prison epistle. So you consider the context of what he's going through. That's important. In jail, writing, not knowing if his life is about to be taken. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer 
in supplication with thanksgiving, make your request, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, God wants to hear from you. And there's this thing called lamenting, or sometimes it's just complaining to God. You know who wants to hear that? God. Day than to have her not talk to me. She's my daughter. I love her. That's my child. And I want her to not hold those, those emotions back, those feelings, that pressure, that anxiety that she may deal with one day and is dealing with now at six. I mean, the pressures of a six-year-old are unreal. Like, I just can't believe it. Like, I don't remember being six, but she, she's there. She's living in it right now. And I'm like, wow, scary life out there, huh? This is the point. Who do you turn to? Who do you turn to when anxiety creeps in? The point isn't don't ever worry about anything. The Bible says don't, don't worry at all. It says make your, when you have anxiety, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, make your requests known to God. So it's don't live in fear of it. Don't live constantly in fear of, of being shot down, of, of losing, of not being able to provide for your family, of losing your family. How would we get anything done? How would we praise our Lord if we continually lived that way? And one of the biggest, biggest supplications for, for dealing with this, the way to, to help with it, is to do life with your church family, those who are sitting around you. Because guess what? Three in ten that is recorded also deal with anxiety on a high level. So there are and going through very similar things as you. We just need to start talking about it. And as we talk about it, church, we need to point one another to our provider. Remember the God who provided life to us, the God who provided a way to us, the God who mediates for us. That the Holy Spirit, church, is praying on your behalf when you, your grumblings and your, your worry and your concern keep you silent. God is still praying for you, knowing everything that you need. Church, God hears your requests and is giving out peace to his children that he says surpasses all understanding. Every self-help book you could ever read would not surpass this peace that God gives to those who pray to him. When Maylie is like worried or scared, who does she come to? Sometimes me, sometimes her mom. She's coming to one of her parents. And guess what? Our answers are not always immediate. I, sometimes I don't know what to do, right? Sometimes as a man, I have to say, go to your mother, Right? Things I don't want to deal with and don't want to talk about. I'm dad, right? There's some things you're just going to go to your mom about. There's not always an immediate answer. There's not always an immediate solution or outcome. Parents, this is very practical. You all know exactly what I'm saying. Sometimes you need your kids to get through that situation with a little bit of help, peace, wisdom, understanding to get through it. You're teaching them to understand, to overcome, without you holding their hand through everything. And sometimes we tell her sister to assist her, to, for her to assist situations, having been given the same wisdom, the same understanding, the same spirit of God to live inside of us to overcome those situations. Not to get rid of them. It's not control, alt, delete. It's gone. 
No, God wants to refine us, his people, through walking through this lane, not alone, but together with the spirit of God and the power of God living inside of us to overcome it. Like Maylie just teaching her, this bug is not going to eat you. You've been given wisdom. It's a stink bug. It will not eat you. Our three-year-old does not understand this. It will not eat you. Now, what does she need to do with that wisdom? Believe it and apply it. Conquer it. Done. It's done. But she needs to believe that. Because I'm not always going to be there when she's 19 and calling me about a stink bug. No. There's a day when that is done. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value? Church, not only is life more than food, mentally and spiritually, but God our provider meets these very basic needs. That he's providing for the birds, Jesus makes it clear. Are you not of more value than them? Now that's crazy. Don't tell a ton of people that, right? Like, we have more value than the birds? Yes. We've been given dominion over the birds and the fish of the sea? Yes. But we are to care for them and love them and not just just do away with them, right? We have a great responsibility over them. But if he provides for them, will he not provide for us? Why is this tough for us to see? Because we're people pleasers. Instead of the basic needs, church, we are becoming stressed by worldly anxieties. We're letting those creep in and take over our life Some examples, and and this can go much deeper, church, right? This may be very surface for some of you, um, and then uh, it may be very practical and tangible for the rest of you. But understand, this is just a few examples of many. But I eat Salisbury steak and not filet mignon. That's a stress. Why? Because we see other people doing it, and we feel less. We've been taught that from a young age, that, that you've got to strive and be this, to be great, to be this person, to be that person, to eat this if you want to be successful. I get a week of vacation at work, but I can't go anywhere. Maybe you saw the, the Meadows family who hadn't been on vacation in three or four years. We got to go on a cruise. Can we do that every year? No. It would be unrealistic for the Meadows family to look and say, we can do that every year, right? We can't. But we've been sold this idea that you have to use that week's vacation and go and get out. Some of my favorite vacations are just getting away to Columbus and going to a coffee shop. Why? It's refreshing to me. It's affordable for me, right? I can go and do that as long as gas doesn't go up anymore. (laughs) I have clothes, but I don't have the ones that are in style. I have a car, but nothing to turn your head. I have a job, but no college degree. That one gets me. You got a job. Your talent and your has given you to serve him? Do you feel like you're using those things? Then forget what people have to say about these little petty, minute details in the grand scheme of things. You may make less money. Are you happier? At the end of the day, I've accepted the fact that many of my friends are going to make more money than me. That's cool. Then when I go to their house, I get the Salisbury steak. Right? I don't care. I'll still eat that in front of them eating their filet mignon. But when I go to the Wu house, they're not in here, I want dumplings, right? I've just, you got to pick and choose. Church, these are actually real stressors for people. These are things that get to people. These are things that hold people back. These are things that will keep you up at night. Looking to other people's lives instead of the one who provided the life that you have and live and breathe. Verse 27, and which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Wow. 
I mean, how many of you all, like, you don't have to raise your hand, just sit around, like, worrying about time, and then you realize you're wasting time worrying about the time. Church, there was a, a time in my life where every night I'd sit there and be like, I didn't get this done, that done, or that done. I'm stressed. And it just starts to creep up on you. And every night you find yourself having the same conversation with yourself. And instead of praying, what did I do? Worry. And it stressed me out. It was taking over my life and there wasn't enough time. And I was looking at other people and I was wishing that I had as much time as them. And then I realized, church, we have the same amount of time each and every day. I have to prioritize better. See, some of us are so worried and don't have time to pray and don't have time to, to remember our provider because we don't have enough time. But the truth is, is instead of how can I fit my Bible study in today, how about we say, how can I fit in time for coffee with my friend? No, I don't have enough time to do that. I'm going to do coffee with my friend next week or in a month. What if we prioritize the one who provides for us each and every day? Church, and, and some of that prioritizing has to do with, hey, I'm going to meet with this person we're going to go, we're going to have a coffee, we're going to hang out because we're friends, but I'm also going to be intentional about asking them about how their, their relationship with Christ is doing. And it's in those conversations where it gets a little weird at times when you ask, hey, how is your relationship with the Lord? It's kind of weird. The person next to you at Starbucks is like listening. I do that too. I mute my headphones. If you ever see me with headphones in, I hear you talking. I'm not listening to anything in my headphones. I'm listening to you. That's what I do. I love to like just people watch, right? What if we had those conversations that are weird, but they're practical, they're real, and they're life-changing? Because in those situations, church, you're going to lead people to Christ, first off. Because when we realize that, that altar calls are outside of the church more than they are inside the church, we'll start to see a revival. And then when we realize that people are changed when people do life together and rely on the Spirit of God and the power of God, then we'll start to see life change each and every day. We'll start to see sanctification. We'll start to see refining. We'll start to see, I'm running uh, short and long here, but we'll wrap it up. Verse 30, he says, oh, little faith, you of little faith. A question here, the very thing that saves you, church, faith, he says, you of little faith, isn't that the very thing that we should want more of and more of and more of and more of? I mean, if the one thing saves you, if we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, shouldn't we want more and more and more and more faith? I mean, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Go and sin no more. But we live as though we are a faithless people, and mainly because we've forgotten our purpose. So point number three, remember your purpose. That won't be on the screen, Sean. I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure I forgot it. Remember your purpose. So you've remembered your provider, you remember who you're serving, but remember your purpose. Literally, church, each and every person was created to enjoy God forever, to love him and to enjoy him forever. Now you who have repented and believed, you've found that identity in the Lord and you've been made a new creation. So you understand that purpose. But the practicality of it when life hits you is gonna be what determines this. Do you remember your purpose in the moment that, that you lost your job? That it doesn't matter about this job because my God's going to provide another job. That doesn't mean go out and do it alone. I'm just going to sit in my house and God's just going to provide this. No, you need to speak up to your church family. Because your church family is like a network of brothers and sisters in Christ who may have connections to set you up for another job. 
you like this, but we have enough money to pay your bills uh, this week. That's okay. We don't want you to keep going on like this, but we, your church family, will rally around you to help you pay your bills. We will also rally around you to help you figure out how to pay your bills on your own and become self-sufficient as the Lord wills. We do these kind of things, church. We ought to do these kind of things because we have a purpose. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Church, first, seek first. The very first thing that we ought to be doing with every bit of our life is seeking first the kingdom of God. That's why it was the first fruits. That's why our tithes and our offerings are our first fruits. Not whatever you have left in your pocket, but what you've prayed about in your heart to give first. I, will, I could make a case for exactly 10%, but also Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. But church, the first fruits... Everything that we have, we don't give God our leftovers. We give God our first fruits. The first minute we wake up, if that's when you have the most energy, that should probably be your time to read your Bible, not when you're falling asleep. And that's when you just have a little bit of time. And you know what happens with that little bit of time? You fall asleep. And you don't even remember what book of the Bible you were reading when you woke up. It happens. Remember your purpose. Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes uh, 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter... All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Uh, Jesus actually said about Solomon here in verse, uh, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He wasn't dressed like the goodness and the glory of God's creation. Solomon had everything. He was the king. He built the, the, the first temple there in Jerusalem. It was beautiful, right? But Jesus said that he wasn't even dressed like them. And Solomon writes, he says this, Fear God. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon understood. For this is the whole duty of man, church, that we would follow God and his word with his people. To God be the glory. Church, it's very likely that some of you are going to deal with anxiety this week. It's very likely that I, as I've preached about things like money, you got anxious. Church, I'm anxious preaching about it. But what we do with that anxiety determines and shows more than anything. It shows the world who our king is. The kingdom that we serve, whether it be that of God or that of man. So remember who you serve. Remember who provides for you. Remember your provider Remember that he is providing to every need that you have. And remember your purpose that you've been given in Christ Jesus. You've been made a new creation. And remember this when anxiety hits you. First off, you've got brothers and sisters dealing with a lot of the same things who are wanting to help, wanting to care for you, wanting to love you and serve you. Not as that like weird sickness, but as one who is going through things that maybe they've been through. And remember 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We should have that same mentality with one another and not the mentality of, I don't want to hear about your problems anymore. Or I don't want to put my problems on anybody else anymore. If we all want to be a little bit more like Jesus, we should open our doors a little bit more to love a lot more like Jesus. To say, I don't care if you come in, I want you to talk to me. I had someone apologize, I'll end with this. Ben, you can come back up. I asked someone how their week was going at the, the common ground the other week. They said, terrible, they laid all this stuff out. 
I'm used to it, right? I love it. For whatever reason, I'm, I'm, I just love getting to talk to people, care for them, serve them um, in that way. Just, I want people to start talking about how they're actually feeling. Ask my wife. She hates that, right? Like, tell me how you're feeling, Aubrey. And the same person, they came up to me after spilling everything a week later, and they're like, hey, I just want to apologize. I'm like, oh, man, what happened? I just, like, spilled everything out on you. I told you how terrible my week was. I was like, no, I appreciate that. Because I know that we need outlets. And our greatest outlet, church, is Jesus. You know what Jesus has given us to help overcome our anxieties? Our brothers and sisters. The Spirit of God. Those anxieties are not going to go away. But church, the more that we remember our purpose, the more that we remember our provider, the more we remember who we serve, will show that our heart is focused on the kingdom of God. We're going to sing of Jesus. We're going to sing to Jesus because he saved us, because he loves us, and he wants to hear from us. So let us lift up a joyful noise. And if you don't know the Lord, I'm sure that you, maybe some of this has been relevant, but I cannot say enough that your only hope is your salvation in the Lord. So repent of your sins and believe in Jesus who gives past that surpasses all understanding. Praise be to God. Father, we love you. We ask that you would just continue to move this week. God, I just, I pray that we would just, dive into your scriptures uh, this week, continue to, to talk about uh, this very practical um, issue that we pretty much all deal with, God. I'm reminded of, of the anxiety of our Lord in the garden, so anxious, praying that the cup would pass if it be your will. God, will we remember, remember the words of, of Christ? As much as we want things to just be gone from our life, sometimes we just got to go through it. But I pray for each and every believer to hear this very clearly and myself, God, that you would remind me daily that we are not meant to do it alone. God, you gave Adam a helpmate very early on because we were meant for, for companionship, relationship, intentionality in those relationships. So God, would you grow us, not just to you, for we seek you, we seek you first. But would you grow us together? I pray that as summer chills come up, God, that we would grow a bond uh, so strong that it just could not be broken. I pray that we'd be vulnerable, we'd be transparent, we'd be real, we'd be honest, we'd be humble. God, we, we would remember that there are gonna be times in these intentional relationships, these, these deep and personal conversations that sin may be called out. Maybe sin is, is the cause of some of our anxiety, not all of it. Maybe we need to repent and trust you a little bit more. And we need to realize that you've given us brothers and sisters to do those kind of things. God, would you just lead us in that truth? Send us as your people to bless this world. Tell them of the hope that we have in Christ our Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.